Here's everything you might have missed in Andor Episode 6. Folks, let's make one thing perfectly clear. For my money, this week's Andor is one of the best hours of Star Wars, period. The series reached the halfway mark of its first season with not quite the heist of the century, but definitely one for the history books. We're gonna break it all down for you in just a moment, but to do so, we have to spoil what happens. So if you haven't seen the latest Andor yet, I mean, come on, dude, you click this video, just leave. Tell him, sir. Tell him he needs to leave. Okay, let's get into it, shall we? Andor did not let up on the gas pedal at all in the thrilling, visually stunning episode six that saw the long-awaited payroll heist unfold in spectacular fashion. What began as Ocean's Eleven quickly turned into the bank robbery from Heat. We saw what people are willing to fight for, to die for, and even to betray others for. And as expected, there were quite a few casualties, especially among the Aldani rebels that we've come to know over the previous three episodes. The episode itself is expertly paced, slowly ramping up from the pre-mission morning jitters to a fiery crescendo during the heist itself before its tragic denouement. Even the title of this episode seems to be a bit of a double entendre. Now, the eye on paper is the mass meteor shower that happens on Aldani once every three years. It turns the sky into Principal Skinner's kitchen. It's basically the northern lights on steroids. As we see, it's called the eye because all of the meteors converge to form what looks very clearly like a gigantic eye complete with a pupil and retina. But the episode title also seems to refer to the Eye of the Empire looking down on the people. Like Sauron in Lord of the Rings, it's symbolized here by a massive observation tower looming above the landscape. Unlike Sauron, it seems completely blind to the dangers right in front of it. It prefers to slip into a sort of soft focus in the middle distance of comfortable oppression. We begin the episode with a deep philosophical conversation over a nice cup of calf, the recently canonized Star Wars version of coffee. Comrade Nemec is in full warrior poet mode, pontificating on how the rebellion must embrace the use of mercenaries to match the Empire's lack of moral boundaries. Let them see how an insurgency adapts. It's a viable premise on paper, but Cassian believes that it's flawed. He isn't quite as hope-pilled yet and believes that the Empire is so arrogant they don't care enough to learn how to adapt to threats like this nascent rebellion. As we see over the course of this episode, the Empire is much more concerned with growing fat off the land and the labor of its colonial holdings. In Commandant Jayhold's case, that is quite literal. While he enforces the Empire's oppressive policies and slowly erodes native Aldani culture, he grows crueler and more scornful while living the comparative high life. Despite being stationed on Aldani for seven years, Jayhold hasn't bothered to learn any of the native tongue. Lieutenant Gorn, on the other hand, treats the people with respect, even if he doesn't always translate what they say word for word. Now, this is precisely the type of arrogance that Cassian was talking about, and it's why they never see this particular mission coming. We also learn more about our hero's motivations. Much like Finn in the Star Wars sequel trilogy, Terraman is an ex-stormtrooper trying to put his past behind him and fight for something bigger than himself. As for Cinta, she experienced the Empire's cruelty firsthand when stormtroopers murdered her family. It explains why she maybe has the steeliest resolve of anyone on this suicide mission. Cinta and Vel's secret mission sees them doing their best impression of Cal Kestis and Obi-Wan breaking into the Fortress Inquisitorius in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order and the Obi-Wan show, respectively. Or, if you prefer, Nick Cage breaking into Alcatraz in The Rock as they dive underwater to access the secure facility. After successfully infiltrating the base and taking the Commandant's family hostage, the team gets the drop on a group of soldiers playing at what we first thought was Sabacc, except it appears to be a different game entirely with differently shaped hexagonal tokens. Is this the Star Wars version of Settlers of Catan? I mean, we did see them trading sheep outside, 
Okay, technically they're goats, but you catch my drift. Unfortunately, the team's best laid plans go sideways when Kimsey overhears the team's radio chatter. And much like in Rogue One, the body count for our heroes is pretty damn high. Lieutenant Gorn and Terraman both get shot in the crossfire. Now, in Gorn's case, he might have survived, but Terraman seems as dead as dead can be. At least J-Hole had a heart attack, so it wasn't all bad. After Nemec saved Cassian from getting choked out, they hightail it out of the base in the stolen Rono freighter. Unfortunately, no one was wearing their seatbelt, and then Nemec gets crushed by a giant pallet. No match for an OSHA violation, Nemec seems like he's going to succumb to his wounds, but then Vel gives him the Pulp Fiction treatment in the form of a giant med spike to the sternum. What follows is one of the most dazzling sequences in Star Wars, period, as the Rebels elude TIE fighters scrambled from the Alkenzi airbase. Using the meteors of the eye as cover, they expertly dodge the TIE fighters' attacks while an adrenalized Nemec navigates using his Polaroid SX-70, or whatever you want to call this astro-navigation device. And in case that wasn't enough of a twist of the knife for you, Nemec's final words to Cassian are actually the same ones as K2SO's final words to Cassian in Rogue One. Time. Unfortunately for Cinta, she's left behind to suffer God knows what fate once the Empire puts two and two together. Hopefully she can escape before the Imperial Security Bureau gets off their Imperial Security butts to crack down on these pockets. Pockets. Pockets of rebellion. Pockets. Yeah, I know. You thought you were going to get away without one, but guess what? Pockets. Pockets. In a last-ditch effort to save Nemec's life, they take him to the hilariously named Dr. Quadpaw, who, you guessed it, has four arms. He's rocking a Lobot-style cybernetic headpiece and has glasses like Batu from Ghost in the Shell. Outside, though, Skeen shows his true colors, offering to split the loot with Cassian and run away. And while Skeen apparently doesn't have a brother, we do know that he has a cousin. Yeah. I can handle this myself, cousin. I got this. While he appeals to Cassian's inner mercenary instinct to cut and run, Cassian makes a split-second decision and straight-up murders Skeen. Unlike Han Solo, there is zero debate about who shot first here. Cassian exists more squarely in that murky, morally gray area the Rebellion needs to operate in if they actually want to get off the ground. I'll never climb out of here on my arm! Now, to be fair, Cassian actually does want to cut and run, but only with what he was promised. He gives Vel back Luthen's kyber crystal, and then she gives him some major emotional baggage. Nemec is unfortunately dead, so it looks like the Cassian actually was right on the money earlier that morning. You'll be fine. You'll sleep when it's done. You're right. Now, Nemec's dying wish apparently was for Cassian to inherit his manifesto. And given the instant connection we saw between these two, it's likely that Cassian will not only read this manifesto, but hopefully internalize it. Because Nemec's spirit seems to suffuse one of the most enduring lines and sentiments from Rogue One. Rebellions are built on hope. Seeing someone as hopeful as Nemec sacrifice himself to pull off a mission that he deeply believed in for a cause larger than himself may be what ultimately cracks through Cassian's cynical candy coating. For now, though, it seems like Cassian has a lot to reckon with as he deals with the aftermath of this mission gone deeply awry. Back on Coruscant, news of what happened on Aldani is spreading across the galaxy. Mon Mothma's giving an impassioned speech to the Galactic Senate about the Gormans. Back in Episode 4, she referenced how the shipping lanes on Gorman were being cut off, and later this becomes the site of the Gorman Massacre. This was an event where Imperial troops gunned down peaceful protesters, which led to Mon Mothma publicly denouncing Emperor Palpatine and truly embracing her role as a rebel leader. 
At Luthen's gallery, we see a client looking at a necklace that Luthen describes as a Deveron blue. Deveron is a jungle-covered planet you may recall from the Clone Wars. It was home to a Jedi training center and a temple to which Savage Opress paid an untimely visit. Once again, we can see some familiar items in this shop, like the suit of Starkiller's armor from Star Wars The Force Unleashed, and a tablet similar to the one that Ezra Bridger used to access the World Between Worlds on Star Wars Rebels. Now, after a moment of butt-clenching tension when Aldani's mentioned by a rando in the store, the episode actually ends on a hopeful note. In the back room, Luth interrupts in delirious and credulous laughter, and then a deep sigh. He is just over the moon that this mission was a success, but he's also stealing himself for what's to come. Because as we well know, this is just the beginning of a much more protracted and deadly fight. And if what's to come is half as good as these first six episodes have been, then Andor may well be on its way to giving the Mandalorian a run for its money as the reigning king of Star Wars live-action TV. How sad. No, it's liberating. Anyway, folks, there you have it. That's everything we spotted in Andor Episode 6. It wasn't a particularly Easter egg-heavy episode, but it was laden with meaning, emotion, and consequences for Cassian and company as they move forward. Now, we'll have plenty of other Star Wars deep dives for you on Nerdist in the meantime, but for now, tell us, what did you think of this episode? Did you spot anything that we missed? <laughs> Yo! Yo! Oh my god, cousin, you gotta see this sh let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com. 